Welcome, everyone, to Paranormal Roundtable. I'm your host, Josh uh, Turner. almost forgot my name there. I was like, Josh uh, Turner. <laughs> and uh, with me, as always, is Anthony and... Mushu. Mo- yes. Once okay, again. Okay, good. You want to do the introductions from now on? Yeah, I guess. I mean, if you don't want to. Okay, go ahead. Talk. I'll just sit here. It's your world. I'm living in it. Hey, everybody. It's the one and only oh, here. You're back at it again on XM... <sighs> 183. Don't quit your night job. And I say night job because he works mostly at night. Well, he <laughs> sleeps. But anyway, <laughs> he's over with a stunned look on his face like he don't sleep. You know you sleep. I get paid for it. Oh, so. my gosh. I get paid for being lazy. And you know I'm in charge. Uh, he got paid a lot of money to sell that icy hot patch. <laughs> no. They, uh, they sold this to some big, big dude and plays basketball. They want to sell like it to me. But he talks like you too. Because you go blah blah blah. Well, they confuse us for each other, and even oh, though okay, I get yeah. the commercials, he gets all the money. Yeah, he's he rich. Looks so similar. Mm-hmm. He, he looks rich, and or he's rich, and he looks like a basketball player. You just look like noodles. Well, just successful men, I guess. That's how they confused us. I guess. Oh my gosh. Okay, fuck. So we're wading through it over here. Look, let, let, let's get to the prelims here, so we can get to the stories. I know that's why you're here. So here, here's what we got tonight. We got an offering to you guys. A really good story. Um, uh, serving it up. Hopefully you guys uh, enjoy it. But before before we do all that, let's talk about a couple things. Paranormal Roundtable, the coordinates to send a story are prtpodcast.com, Josh Turner at prtpodcast.com, or you could send it to me through Messenger. Now, in order to do that, you need to send me a, a, a friend request on Facebook and say, hey, I listen to the show. Um, you don't have to say, I love your show. Just say you listen and I'll make you a friend, and and then we'll, we'll go from there. Uh, Josh Turner, 940. That's how you get a hold of me through Instagram, and then PRT Mushu is how you get a hold of me on Instagram. Well, nobody was asking, but that's fine. Whatever. Just, well, I just felt like it was important. You know, okay. Do you have anything as to the add face to that, of the show? No, not really. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so that's Tony's coordinates, my coordinates, and how, are you on Facebook? Yep. Same same username, PRT Mushu. Um, you can find me on the Facebook group or send me your requests. I also have my personal account, which is just Tony Long. You can also send me a friend request there. Either one works. So yeah, just just send him a, a, your stories too. If, if if you can't get a hold of me, Nelly takes the the stories. So that that's how you can you can get your stories to us. Another thing, we do a live stream every Friday now. Uh, Sunday, Friday we have a guest. Typically Sunday we don't, and it's kind of open topics. Whatever we ended up doing a five hour show last night, or or I guess as of this airing of this show, it would have been two days ago. And uh, we went pretty in depth. Um, uh, so anyway, check that out. We talk about bear people, which is I know that sounds weird, but there's there's a lot of stuff about that coming up. And then we got into angels, demons, aliens, what they are, blah blah blah. Anyways, check out the Friday and Sunday live streams, and don't forget every Tuesday we're here to do the podcast. Now, without further ado, let's get started. So, uh, the first story uh, I have. This all. Let me just lay it out there for you. The, the, this this guy, his name is Jose, and he's from El Salvador. He was born there, raised there, grew up there, and he had some pretty interesting uh, encounters starting from when he was young. And what was what really struck me about this guy 
He was introduced to me through a listener. He had no idea about my show or that I even existed. And he's never told his stories to anyone. And I don't really know that he's interested. I tried to get him to come on the show. I think he talks perfectly fine, but he's like Phil Stern. He's very self-conscious. He's like, oh, I don't talk good English. And I'm like, dude, you remind me of my German friend who talks perfectly good English. And he speaks, he articulates well. The guy's very well spoken. Uh, later on, he ended up going and, and going to school for Bible theology. And we talked for a while because we just went back and forth about, you know, how I am with Bible theology. And so I really liked the guy. He was cool. And I wish that you guys could meet him, but he really did. I just couldn't convince him to come on and tell the stories himself. But he he's a pretty good storyteller. So what he told me was growing up in El Salvador, he was poor and he had seven brothers and sisters or counting him, there were seven all together. And he was the the second to the youngest. He had a daughter that was, or a sister that was younger than him. And so he was the youngest boy. So him and his two, he had two older brothers, the rest were all girls. And his two older brothers would always go out fishing. And what the, what they would do is they would go out to the river and it was, uh, it was called the Limpa River. And I mean, you can probably look that up on a map or whatever. And they would, would throw out uh, lines, you know, to get, catch fish. And they grew up basically on this river. And he said that, the, well, the, let's back up a little bit. The first thing that happened to him that he remembers, he was like 13 years old, his grandmother had just died. So the reason this is important, you tell the whole story about these people, because there's people that I believe are experiencers. And I think Jose is definitely one of them. So I started calling him Pepe, and he's okay with that. And Anthony, you want to explain the Pepe thing? How they In Spanish, certain names have certain nicknames tied to them. Like like if your name is Jesus, then your nickname is probably Chewy. If your name is Jose, your nickname is Pepe. I don't know why it works that way. It just does. It, it just kind of does it. In the same way that William in English is Bill and Richard in English is Dick. Dick. Makes perfectly no sense, but... Yeah. Uh, just does what it is. Oh, yeah. it's like a A-Rod, P-Rod, like, you know, those anyone with a Rodriguez last name, they just take the first letter of their first name. Yeah, but that at least makes sense. It's not, like, random. Well, leave it to Tony to say something stupid. But anyway... The- <laughs> at least what <laughs> I said made sense. It's part of his charm. <laughs> well, yeah, but you made sense... When you shouldn't have made sense because that's not the way. Yeah, because I was talking about something that didn't make sense. Yeah, so if I refer to him as Pepe because I got to know him and I started calling him Pepe because my your uh, brother-in-law, my nephew, uh, just had um, a baby with your your sister. My sister, yeah. Yeah, and and little Lucas. uh, Beautiful baby. Beautiful baby. So prayers for little Lucas. Such a cute little baby. And uh, so – they just they just became parents. So he he's Pepe. He also you know cuts our hair. I, I toggle back and forth between him and my other hairstylist. But uh, that's why my hair looks so good all the time. But anyway, rambling. The point is, the guy I started calling him Pepe, and we got to know each other. And over the series of three different phone calls, he gave me a ton of information. And one of the things that he told me was his first experience that he remembers was when he was thirteen years old. And these people lived in like absolute poverty. You know, there was no running water, no electricity. He goes, you went outside to use the bathroom. And, and his dad was just a, a really poor, basically they were, they, they lived off the river. Like I said, the, whatever the river gave them, that's what they did. You know, they ate a lot of fish, obviously. But his dad had a little garden, his grandpa, they had a little garden and they, they would have vegetables and fruit and things like that. But there was always something going on. He's like, his uncle got killed when he was young. 
He watched it happen when he was like nine. It was terrible. Um, so he went through all this, this horrible, whatever his mother got, uh, had polio from birth, which is something in the third world that you don't really think about here. And so she was missing like part of her left arm. And so, you know, she was basically uh, disabled from when he was young, you know? And so he, he grew up like he goes, by the time he was 10, he was like an adult, you know, something that people in this country can't really fathom, you know? So he had a pretty hard life, but he 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 lived a very colorful life. Uh, he's a few years older than me. Um, but what happened was he was thirteen, and this grandmother uh, died. His his bolita, as they say in Spanish, and uh, she she uh, he wakes up in the middle of the night, and he had to go to the bathroom. When he goes outside to go to the bathroom, he sees his grandmother standing there, and this story was really compelling. Um, he said that she was pointing at the outhouse and told him, no, no, los baños, no, no, no restroom. Don't use it, you know? And he said that she was talking like really fast, like to where he could barely understand her, but he understood because he was like bleary eyed and he was like, what? And when she pointed and he looked, he said that what he saw, what he first saw, he thought it was like a, uh, a dog, like a, a black dog, basically. It's like a black dog story, and it walked and it went into the out into the little outhouse. But the the outhouse, the door you could see that because the door had been uh, knocked off because of a storm. And he said that he goes, I I saw this what looked like a shadowy thing kind of go into the outhouse. He goes, and then it just hit me. I'm like, my grandmother died like you know days ago. You know she's already been buried and everything. And he looked back and she was gone. And when he when he just like dismissed it. And he, he kind of shook off the cobwebs. You know, he goes, I was, I was, you know, really sleepy and I just kind of shook it off. And I thought, well, I got to use the bathroom. I don't have time for, for this. You know, I just thinking he was so half sleep, you know, I was dreaming. He says, he starts walking toward the bathroom. He can, he can't see in the, the outhouse because it's dark, but he said he, as he gets closer, he hears a growl. And then he just sees like what looks like a black dog's head come out of the darkness. And then he runs back into the house and, Goes in and, cl- you know, closes the door and starts yelling and wakes up his brothers. So his brother goes out there with a gun. They don't see anything. Well, they had chickens. And they would just r- kind of roam around the yard, you know, whatever. And they only stuck around because they got fed. And he said every now and then something would take them, you know. Um, and somebody in the in the, the nearby neighboring village had told him that uh, there was – it, what, what they would, what he said now, what he, he looks back on it, it was like a chupacabra. And he said that they were saying that it was killing goats and, and chickens and all kinds of weird stuff was going on. And one person saw it through their window. And he said his dad was like, nice mentiras, you know, it's a bunch of bull crap. Ain't nobody seeing all this stuff. And then he says, well, I saw a, a shadowy black dog in the outhouse and his brother's eyes perked up and was like trying to tell him, no, don't, don't say anything. His dad tended to be kind of hard-nosed. He said his dad, when he got drunk, he was kind of a mean drunk, but he said that his dad was not a not an alcoholic. Like, he didn't drink all the time. And he said that the main reason was probably because he couldn't afford it. <laughs> so he said he was too poor to be an alcoholic. But he said that his dad t- got real freaked out when he would talk about this black dog because apparently his dad it was something that had stalked his dad from when he was a, a teenager. He had seen this creature, like, several times. So whenever he started talking about it, his dad at first would kind of dismiss it and then he would get upset. So he said, don't, his brother was like, his bro- brother Roberto told him, don't talk about that. Don't, don't bring it up. 
So Pepe was like, okay, fine. I won't talk about the, 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 this creature or whatever. His brother had gone out there. They had one rifle with hardly any ammunition, but he said he went out there with the three bullets he had, and he said, I didn't see anything. And then a couple nights later, he said he sees it peering at him through the window. And the and the creepy thing was that it lifted up its paw and scratched on the window. And his other brother sat up and was like, oh, you know, what is that? And they all kind of like freaked out. And uh, his other brother, I think his name was Lorenzo. Uh, but anyway, his his brother Lorenzo, the middle brother, pointed at it. And the older brother, of course, grabbed the gun and went outside to confront it. Well, this thing wasn't like a figment of their imagination. It was real. And it was on the other side of the, of the house. And it was it had a chicken in its mouth. He shot it. Knows he hit it. And it, but it disappeared into the brush and it was never seen again. The weird thing was there was no blood. And then this thing took one of the chickens, but him having shot it near the rump, it never came back. And so that was it. The, the, the story is intriguing because why would this thing, if it was just a natural flesh and blood dog, black dog, just really large, why would it scratch on the window and why would him and his brother Lorenzo see it? You know, that was what was weird to me. And so he said that later on, years later, you know, um, right before his dad died, his dad said that when he was a kid, he had, the story was his dad had thrown a rock across the river at a black dog. The black dog stood up on its hind legs and started wading across the river. And uh, <laughs> basically, they took off running. And then after that, he would see this black dog all the time. Now, I thought that was interesting that he said it stood up on its hind legs, Right. We've heard this before, but this is, you know, in El Salvador. Um, the crazy thing is my hometown, we have these stories. If anybody's followed me, they know that there's these stories. And, Anthony, you know what they're called? Hidalgo dogs. The Hidalgo dogs. They're black, and they they walk around on their hind legs. But this is what's – this is thousands of miles away. But this thing, his dad said that after that, he said he, he interviewed his dad, basically asked him a bunch of questions, and his dad told him, he had never seen it on hind legs again. It was always just a big, large black dog, and it chased him all the way home from school one time. And that was his he, – he claimed, his dad claimed that was his reasoning for not going back to school. I said, yeah, sure. And he walked to school both ways, uphill in the snow, even though it was El Salvador. And uh, you know, it was kind of like how people always say, oh, well, that's the reason I never took a bath again. The water was wet. You know, so <laughs> Mermaid tried to drown me. Yeah. I'm not letting that happen again, even though that happened in the ocean. I, you never know. It could come can't up. Can't take the, that risk. You can't take that risk. Comes up through the drain. So, so what ended up it ended up happening is his dad said he was very uh, paranoid, you know. And so he told his dad, he's like, you know, well, you know, everything's fine. And this was the last conversation he had. He goes, I'm going to go get some coffee. You want some water? He goes, he goes out of the, the hospital room, and he comes back, and his dad's dead. His dad had pet his, he was unalive. Uh, he had been unalived. Okay. That's as we're supposed to say, but he comes back. His, his dad is, is deceased. And it was a very weird thing. He's like the last conversation we ever had was about this black dog and his dad. It was like his dad wanted to get it off his chest, you know? Um, but that was it, you know? And then his mother told him that he would have nightmares periodically about this dog. And that sometimes he would, the dreams were that it was dragging him to hell. I mean, it was really intense, and he'd wake up thinking, you know, and he'd be sweating really bad. His body would be hot. So that was his dad.
But his grandmother appearing to him in that dream, that wasn't the only time she did that. Another time he woke up and his grandmother was sitting by his bedside when he was really sick. And she was saying the 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 prayer, um, like the, the Lord's Prayer, you know, over him, whatever, and doing the rosary. And, and he woke up and then the next day he was feeling better. And I told him I had a very similar experience with what I believe was my Lolita when I was sick with the um, swine flu. And I, I told him I said I nearly died, and my Walita came to me in, in a dream, and or well at my bedside, and I, I don't know if it was a dream or what, but it seemed very real. And uh, so anyway, we have that in common, and we and so we went on. And another thing we had in common: this happened when he was fifteen. He said that you know, after those events, it, it was there was nothing really going on. He hadn't he didn't really have anything weird that he could remember until he was fifteen years old, going on sixteen. And uh, they were in the in in the river, the Limpa River. Uh, and that, you know, and the Limper River is a big, it's a big river, right? And so he, he, it was like these little creeks that flowed off of it and you could go in these little coves and stuff. And he said that the fish would go up in there and then they'd get kind of stuck. And so it was a good place. He said, some of these places you could take a net and just go down and scoop fish out of there. And he said, it was awesome. You know, when it would rain and then the rain, the, the water would kind of, uh, settle and then it would recede a little bit, you know, these fish would get stuck in these little pools. And so they'd go back and there was just one cove. He hated going in there. And it was literally called the haunted cove because the story was that it was haunted and that there were demons there. And it was completely surrounded by trees. And when the water would get lower as the water would recede back into the river, um, you could see like this this large uh, incline to the bank. And there was this like kind of steep hill that had been kind of carved out by the river and the the floods, you know. And he said, I went up there one day and he goes, and we hear this splashing on on at on the bank. He goes, and, and my brothers are just grabbing fish left and right. And they're like, they're like, come on, help. And he goes, no, dude, you know, I'm telling them I'm, I hear something. So the older brother says, okay. And his older brother was not one of those. He, he was probably, he said his older brother was probably the most superstitious of the group. Because he was the oldest child, their second oldest child behind one of his sisters, and he was the oldest boy. So a lot is put up on him, you know, and he was like the protector. Roberto was the big one, the tough one, whatever. Um, and so he told him and his brother Lorenzo, he said, shh, like that, you know, and he's like, and they hear splashing. And then they look and they see something move really quick to their right. And then they look and there's this thing on the bank. Now, this is the crazy story here. It looked like to to these guys. He said, "Dude, if you if you were to draw the picture, or draw a picture of the devil, that's what it would look like." And I said, "The devil? I mean, there's a lot of different ways to draw the devil." He goes, "No, just like horns, Pitchfork a tail, tail yeah. you know, like the the devil, but not red." He said it was a brownish color, kind of the color of the banks, and and then the water by the bank, you know. And he said that it kind of blended in. It was like a greenish brown color. And he said that if if you took like in, in what what I described to him like reptilians, and he said yeah, but like with horns, and he said that it had like the nose where the nose should have been, that was just like this these two holes right there where, where the but it, it like but it protruded outward, which was really weird. He said I got a really good look at this thing. He said this happened when he was a uh, fifteen years old, and it was like in the mid nineties or something. Um, and oddly enough, it happened in October too, the same year and month that I saw the dogman. So that was another weird thing that we had in common. And so he, he told me, he's like, dude, I sat there just stunned looking at this thing. I said, how, how tall was it? 
and and of course he gave me centimeters, but in, in his word, it was about seven and a half feet tall. Um, and I told him, I said, wow, that's about the size of the dog man I saw, but it wasn't as big. He said it was tall and kind of thin, but it was wider at the shoulders and the arms and legs were kind of thin. But he said that there was something sticking off of its back and, and they didn't know what it was. And it kind of sat there and looked at them for just a second and then just kind of ignored them. And then it jumped into the water and dove. And then they saw like the way its feet, when its feet came up, it had these spurs on the back of its feet. And he said it was the weirdest looking creature, dude. And he said, we stared at it. And then he goes, we had a little uh, motorboat, you know? So his brother's like, let's get out of here. So they started trying to get the thing going and it wouldn't start, you know? Typical. And he said, yeah. And then he said, this thing pops up out of the water about, you know, eight to 10 feet out in front of their boat. And he's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's right there. He said, then I realized what those ridges were on its back because what popped off of its back were these big wings. And when these thing, when this thing unfurled, he was like, dude, this is, you know, a demon, a devil, you know, a diablo, you know. And his brother and him, they're all screaming and freaking out. And he said that the thing kind of tilted its head sideways like it was trying to listen to them as they were screaming. And I, he said, dude, and I said, this sounds kind of like Jeepers Creepers. He goes, he goes, yeah, I've seen that movie. He's like, uh, it's, uh, it, it doesn't do it justice. He goes, this thing kind of looked like that, but it was way more real, you know, and way uglier, you know? And he said that this thing was like terrifying. And he said that the Jeepers Creepers monster had more like a human sort of, you know, feel to it. He said, this thing had no humanity at all. He said it was almost like a, a demonic animal, the way he described it. And he said that it just flew up real fast and it just went straight up into the sky, you know, probably 60, 70 feet and then just bolted off, you know, to their, to their right and just was gone. And he goes, dude, I thought, wow, that was, you know, just the weirdest, you know, said that it had what looked like scales all over its body. The chest had like bigger chest plates and he couldn't tell um, if it was bone or what it was made of, but it looked like it was like a like 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 a exoskeleton almost on the top, the way he described it, and that's what that's what conjured up the image in my mind of an exoskeleton. It had these big claws, and and it looked like it was eating something on the bank. Fish, it was eating fish, so it was eating. Um, we know that, but and it had these weird wings, you know, with these ridges on the top of its back, and it had a tail. And uh, and it had horns, horns at the very top of the head that, that protruded out outward to the front of the head. And he said that they looked very uh, menacing, like if it were to – and had a really thick neck, it looked like it could literally gore someone with its horns if it had to, you know. And the, the, the hands had like really long talons for hands um, and big teeth, you know, like, like uh, it had a little bit of a snout, not much. And he had it had really big like like fangs and teeth and, and and it looked like it could really do some damage, and so he said, "Thank God they didn't." They were all praying and screaming, you know, and it just took off. And his bro, one of his brothers thinks that you know their prayers actually made it go because it tilted its head. And when he started screaming the name of Jesus, that's when it took off. Um, I said, "Did you pray?" He goes, "Dude, I just sat there crying because <laughs> I didn't pray." Because I'm not gonna lie, I was just sitting there crying. And my brothers were screaming, my one brother was screaming threats and the other one was praying. And he goes, but I do remember when he started saying Jesus that it took off. And he goes, so then, then his brother kept saying, see, I told you it was a demon, you know, a Diablo. 
So that that story was pretty crazy. And when he told me that, I th- it brought back memories of what happened to me when I was 15. I'm not going to get into that. But I just remember, you know, the, the 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 fear in his voice reminded me of of what had happened to me and i thought um you know it's 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 really hard to explain it hit home to me because you know when you're 15 years old and you're at that young age and something like that happens to you and it's super traumatic so he goes back to the house him and his brothers and they tell his sisters and they get all worked up into a frenzy and his mother freaks out his dad was just like completely apathetic and and even acted like they didn't see what they saw. And he was just like, whatever, dude. And so he never had a good relationship with his dad. None of them did until, you know, right before he died. And of course, you know, he, he told him what he told him about the black dog. But, uh, so anyway, when he was a young, young guy, he had all these dreams and aspirations and he decided that he was going to become a priest. Well, he went to the Catholic church and decided that he was going to do that. And he he tried to make it work, and uh, he went to a, a place in San, called San Vicente, and he there he ended up dropping the Catholic faith and following a non denominational church that was uh, a Pentecost, but they called themselves non denominational. But he he's like they were really just Pentecost, and he was Pentecost for a while. And they asked if, at one point, you know, he was in his early 20s, and they asked if there was anybody who wanted to go to Nicaragua. And that in Nicaragua, they had a uh, uh, a ministry there, and they were trying because it was, you know, communists were fighting, taking over the country, and then a bunch of people had been killed. And it was just a nightmare uh, place, you know. And so he, he, being a young man and full of um, – hopes and aspirations, he agreed to go. And he went to this little village outside of a place called Leon in Nicaragua. And Leon um, was full of upheaval at that time and, and all kinds of crap. And he goes there and he gets off the bus. Uh, and the first person that greets him, he goes to greet him, is this really weird little guy that he became uh, friends with named uh, Pedro. And Pedro welcomed him, and, they, and he goes, let me take you to the church that we're building. And it's on the outskirts of town, and it's nothing. He said, dude, it's like it's like a shack. He goes, I grew up in a house bigger than this. He's like, this is your church? And it's a dirt floor. And he goes, and the first night he was there, and this isn't paranormal, but it was just creepy. He feels something on his hand. He looks down, and there's this giant tarantula crawling on his arm. Oh. And he just flings it, and it hits the wall, and then comes and runs back at him. And then he loses sight of where it's at, and he grabs a flashlight, and he's looking everywhere, and he can't find it. He don't know where it goes. So he tells uh, – there was another uh, American that was there with him named Boyd, and he walked this guy up. You know, this guy, he's like, Boyd. And Boyd was from Boston. He's like, yeah, what? What's going on? You know how they talk. And he's like, he's like, yeah, go back to sleep, man. It's just a freaking spider. You know, I don't care. You know, just go to sleep, you know. And he said, you know, Boyd was like, whatever. Then in the middle of the night, he's like up – the rest of the night just sitting there like paralyzed with fear. And then he hears, ah, and he wakes up and Pedro had gotten bit on the leg and got, it was so bad. The spider, he didn't know what kind it was, but it was so venomous. They had to go to the hospital uh, miles away back into town and get anti-venom put in them to get the, the, to, you know, he says, I can't do this. You know, this is, this is horrible. You know, at least we didn't have, you know, giant tarantulas running into our house, you know, because we, you know, we had cats and a couple other things that would keep them out. 
And so he he ended up going uh, to town and getting two cats, which actually we know from experience, Anthony, uh, the cats, they actually do, will kill bugs and chase spiders and things like that. Oh, yeah. And, and our panzer boy, he'll swat them on the, you know, whatever. The most successful predators ever. Yeah, they are. And so he had a couple cats. He said, I kept them after that. No more problems, dude. He goes, and one day he found a dead snake. And he said that the cats, he gave him the credit for that, you know, but he said, I never, never was, uh, you know, real close with him, but he, he got to, to, to get real close with one of them. He named Peso. And, uh, he said that the cat looked like it was funny because, um, when he, when he took a trip to Mexico, they had bought a little sombrero and he put it on the cat's head and the cat actually liked it. Like he would wear it, you know, like, so, and that, and that's funny because we did that with our cats and we were, I was joking with him about that. You know, we had all these similarities, you know, so we hit it off and he was talking about the cat peso being like this, like his companion, you know, and he had a little moped and the cat, that cat would ride with him. He said the other cat, uh, Nacho wouldn't, would not participate at all. And so he said that, that, but peso was really cool. He would ride with him, whatever. And uh, was that, the cat was actually with him when one of these crazy things happened. He was driving by a uh, a cemetery called Guadalupe Cemetery, and it's right there in Leon. And he said that that it was lightning because it storms a lot, whatever. And he said it was lightning, and he looked and he thought he saw like a the uh, like some sort of image of something like a humanoid image uh, moving through the tombstones. So he thought, huh, that's weird. So he gets to the church uh, up there because at that point the Catholic, the local Catholic church, the diocese was actually being very kind and helping them uh, get started, you know, with their materials and build or whatever. And even though they were, uh, I guess, a rival church, they believed in what they were doing. And he made friends with the priest there. Uh, can't remember his name. I think his name was Frederico or something. Um, and I don't know if that's a. Um, his his real name or whatever, but anyway, he told me this this priest's name was Frederico or Frederico, and he became friends with him. And so, one day, he he tells him he goes, dude, I was driving by the cemetery and my cat freaked out and like started hissing and he's like, and I slowed down and when when the lightning struck, I thought I saw something moving around that cemetery. So his friend that he this guy that he becomes a, a good friends with tells him, you know. Years ago, when I was in my twenties, he was he was he was older than than uh, uh, Pepe, uh, Pepe. But he tells Pepe, he says, "Dude, I I, I was uh, playing with some friends, you know, coming home drunk, and we were horse playing, you know. And he was into boxing when he was younger, before he joined the priesthood. And he said, you know, my mom, I was a troublemaker, and my mom talked me into becoming a priest, and I gave my life over to God. And he said that uh, him and his friends were play fighting, throwing punches, you know, him and his two friends." And they hear this, this like what sounds like a tombstone or something being knocked over. He's like, we all stop and we look. And he goes, and what we see, and this is what was really crazy. This was the original story that he had given me because somebody said that, hey, my friend has a dogman story and that's how I met him. But he said, we see this creature that looks like a werewolf. And he said that it was like crawling up on top of one of the, the big uh, monuments there. And he said that he goes, he, we see just the head and the hands. And he said hands. This thing have paws. And he goes, and we're staring at it. He's like, and we're like, what the heck is that, dude? And like, we're in the middle of the road. Like at this point, we're walking and there's no, no traffic, nothing. It's like two in the morning. They're coming back from a bar. 
and they had to walk through that area by the cemetery. And he's like, dude, it was, it was terrifying. He goes, we were sitting there staring at this thing. He said, and it caught, it, it knew that we were looking at it. We caught its attention. So he said, this thing kind of slinks off of my words, you know, it's sling, it kind of the way he said it kind of just slinked off of the, the tombstone and started like staring at him. He's like, the next thing you know, it goes behind a tree and then they kind of lose sight of it. And then the next thing you know, it's right there by the fence walking parallel to them. So the one friend just took off running and it watched that guy run. Then it looked over at them. And then he goes, our instinct was to run. But for whatever reason, he goes, my legs just wouldn't go. And his friend, the same thing. So they just started walking and this thing began to parallel them, just walking alongside them. And he said that this thing just kept walking alongside them and eventually just took off towards them. And then they bolted and they all went in different directions. And he said he got near near the, like all the way into town, like to the middle of the town, whatever, and was like hiding in an alley. And he looks at one point and he's hiding behind some trash cans. And he looks and he sees this thing crawling on all fours looking down that alley. And he said, dude, I'm praying and I'm just praying. Do you get it? I had the St. Christopher pendant. And he goes, I was clutching it. And he goes, and I was just praying. I was like, please, God, deliver me from this. And he said the thing started to come down the alley. And then he there was a noise in, in the alley across the street, and it turns and runs that way. And he said he sat there just terrified, you know. And then he finally, he gets, gets you know, the, the nerve the courage, to get yeah. up. And he's, I sat there for another 20 minutes just crying, just crying, looking down at my hands. And uh, he said, I finally got the nerve and I took off and I, I looked both ways and there was nobody out. And uh, so I just took off, you know, and I got away. And uh, he's like, I, I, I cried all the way home. And then my mother, we prayed that night and she, she prayed the rosary, whatever. And she said, you need to join the priesthood. And so he did. But the, the thing is, when I asked him about the description, he got his friend to send him a very uh, detailed description. He said that it had brownish black fur, a very large, large head, almost like the head was too big for the body. The The shoulders weren't real massive from what he remembers, and it had long arms, and it had the backward bent kind of legs, like the, the and it looked like a werewolf. And he said that it was definitely uh, Ambedi Lobo, you know, man wolf. And so he's like, doesn't, doesn't know what it was, but uh, it, it, it was – terrifying you know and and when he told that story he goes when he told me the story we're sitting there in the church and when he tells me the story we, he started crying and he said dude he goes I, it was like god spared me he goes and i knew i had to do good at that point you know i knew i had to stop doing what i was doing or whatever and he said when he first tried to join the priesthood he got rejected and he was very upset because he was like and so he he started going to church you know and being very devout and the the priest uh, that was in charge there saw that he was serious about actually trying to do right and do good and so eventually he got you know accepted and he and he was able to join um i guess he was like 19 or 20 something like that and and he had decided to to give his life over to God and and so that's why whenever they were building the church, even though it was not uh, a, a Catholic church, he got a lot of help from this guy. And he said that without his help, it wouldn't have been possible, you know. And typically, those churches they they're they're, they're almost like opposed diametrically because 
the Pentecost, a lot of Hispanics become Pentecost because they're disillusioned with the Catholic Church. But this guy was very kind and very gracious. He said he was one of the nicest people he'd ever met. Um, and fortunately, I do believe that that guy has passed away. Um, I think he said he'd had a heart attack or something. But anyway, um, bef- before before this was all said and done, they would end up going through hell together. And one day he was at his church helping him uh, you know, hammer some some wood and actually turning the shack into what could be, you know, resembling a church, you know. And he said that that uh they were to go out into the to the jungle area uh miles away and stay for a couple weeks and and talk to these people that lived out in the middle of nowhere and and preach the word to them. So he goes out there and this uh priest, very kind man, decides to give him a ride and he all he had was an old beat up pickup that the diocese had given him whatever. And so he said that he had this uh, this beat up old pickup, and they drive him out there, and there were six of them, and they drop him off out in the middle of nowhere. And he's like, are, you know, he even asks him, he's like, "Are you sure you want to be out here? You know, is this?" And he said, "No, I'm not sure, but this is, you know, this is what I gotta." He said, "This is just part of what I gotta do. You know, it's just it's just the way it is." He goes, and it was more primitive than where he had grown up or where this church out in Leon was. And so he goes, I, I was apprehensive at first, you know, but then when I saw these people and how they lived and how and they're suffering and when they, they were already being ministered to and all they wanted was Bibles. He just, they just wanted Bibles, you know, he said, well, okay, the, the, that night it was still a several hour drive back for his buddy. So he told him, he said, why don't you just stay here for the night? You know? And, and so he said, okay, he didn't want to have to drive back in the dark, whatever. So they, he stayed there. And then he said it was the biggest mistake ever because that night they hear gunfire and then they end up hearing these, these, the, the voices of men screaming and yelling and they wake up and there's these soldados, these soldiers that come into the village and they start rounding everybody up. And he's like, these are communists, you know, they're, they're the remnants of the Sandinistas. And uh, he said that it was really bad. He goes, they, the first thing they did was shoot two people. Um, and he hadn't even had a chance to barely meet these people. And they were already, you know, and they took all their Bibles away from them and they started throwing them into a bonfire. And then they, they started telling the, and this is really sad. They told the village leader, they were like, who gave you these Bibles? And they asked them over and over again in Spanish and nobody would speak up. So then he goes, I'll never forget. He got, guy lifts a, a pistol to the guy's head and was about to, you know, pull the trigger. And he says, I, I did. And he steps forward and he said, Federico did the same thing. They both stepped forward at the same time. And he said that I was so scared. I didn't know what to do. He's like, there was a woman next to me and I I was just squeezing her hand. And then I reached over and I grabbed Federico's hand and we all just kind of stepped forward together. And he said that uh, at that point, they're like, oh, okay. So all y'all are just going to, it's kind of like, I'm Spartacus, I'm Spartacus, you know. So he says, okay, well, we're just going to, we're going to get to the bottom of it. And so shot another person and he stepped forward again and let go of these people's hands. And he said, I did this. It was me. And so he goes over to Pepe and he says, okay, so you're the smart one that thinks he's going to do this and do that and blah, blah, blah. So they, he pistol whipped him. Next thing you know, he wakes up, he's blindfolded. He's in the back of a, of a truck with like wooden slats. And he goes, I'm, I'm, I roll over. And I can see it's daylight and I can see the ground below me, you know, through the wooden slats. And there's like gravel flying up and hitting my face. And 
They said, we drove for what must have been hours. And then we end up out in this middle of nowhere. And they put him in this like uh, barn warehouse type place, you know. And there were uh, soldiers everywhere, like people dressed in, in, in camo, you know. And this uh, these soldiers were screaming and yelling, you know, commands. And, and every day they would come to them and basically, you know, accuse them of being – you know, fascists and telling them that they were, you know, capitalists and all this other stuff. And he's like, dude, I'm just a human being from El Salvador. And they, and they were particularly interested in him and the priest. And they, he, they kept telling him, why are you here? What do you, what is your, you know, reasoning for being in our country? Why, you know, you're from El Salvador. Why are you here? Why are you here? You know? And he kept telling them, look, I'm just trying to spread the gospel, you know? And then they told him, we don't, we don't want you spreading anything. You're not going to, you know, and so for days on end, there was a guy that would come in there and this guy's name was Herman. And he kept saying, he kept telling him, he's like, uh, that there, he kept telling him to, to say that there was no God. Like that was this guy's mission was to break him down. And he said, if God is real, then why doesn't he come down and help you? Why doesn't he save you? He's like, if this Jesus is so powerful, why does he not save you? And he would hit him in the stomach with his gun, and then they they tied him to a chair and they beat him, and they would they would put cigarette butt, butt, butts out on him and stuff, you know. And they did this to the priest too. The priest, uh, he believes that they did something to the priest that hurt him. Like literally, that's why he believes it. Because I think he said he died of a heart attack or heart failure or something. I, I don't remember the exact cause of death. I know it had something to do with his heart. But uh, he had gotten hit in the chest real bad, and they had bruised his chest because you remember when they laid him in the back of a truck and they were driving, his friend was like barely breathing. You could see that he was barely breathing. And so he he, he remembers just, just rolling over and putting his hands on this guy um, because in the Pentecost, they do believe in laying hands and all that. And he just prayed and he begged God. He said, please, heal my friend. Please deliver us from these evil men. Please. And he said that 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 day, it was like right that night when they were driving, um, they were told that there was a place that they would take people out into the bush and kill them. And he said that, that the truck just stalls. Now, I don't know if this is a miracle or a divine intervention or what, but uh, these soldiers, they get out. And he said that they, they weren't very bright. <laughs> he said these people were very uneducated, you know, and, and they were uh, horrible people, you know. But he said that one of them was a young guy, and so he told him, Frajo, por favor, you know, he asked him for a cigarette. And the guy says, okay, so he goes to get to, to get a cigarette, and then he put grapes for his pocket. The older guy, the one that was driving, um, was or the one that was uh, uh, holding the gun or whatever, was looking under the hood of the truck. And he said that the younger guy, the one that was driving, was, was like, hold on, I'll be right back, un momento. So he goes into the front to get whatever. And when he does, uh, he has this piece of metal that he had been working on for a couple of hours, and he managed to pull it out of the uh, side of the truck. There were like these uh, – like you've probably seen these trucks where people sit with the wooden benches and the backing yeah, is metal. Yeah. And there was a piece that was sticking out that was rusted real bad, so he had pulled it out and he had it, and he was trying to cut himself loose because he was just tied up. And he said he managed to get his arms, his hands loose, and when the guy sat up, the guy went to hand him the cigarette to his mouth – he said he reached up and the guy had a, had his gun like kind of like resting on his chest. He just – he said it was – I couldn't believe how easy it was. I just grabbed it and there it was. I was holding an AK-47 
which he had shot. He said he had shot before, you know. And uh, he said he. I grabbed it and I just pointed the, the 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 weapon at him and I told him, "Don't make a sound." And he said it was almost like an out of body experience. He goes, "I could see myself doing this, but it's like something was over me." You know what I mean? He goes, and I just got up very quietly, barefooted, walking on this gravel road. And he said, and my feet were were bleeding and, and hurt. And he goes, I felt no pain, nothing. And he goes, and I walked around to the front of the truck and I the, I pointed the gun at the guy. And, at the, at, you know, I was sitting there holding his rifle and pointed it. And this guy just put, put slowly puts his hands up, you know, and he says, throw your guns on the ground. And so he, to, he told both of them, you know, to, to go and sit by, you know, on the edge of the road. And they kept asking, are you going to kill us? Are you going to kill us? And he says, I might. And he kept telling them, you know. And he says, and, and it just it's like it wasn't me. I'm not a violent person. Never have been. And then he goes, I look up, and, and uh, Federico is, like, sitting up. And he's, like, his chest has this massive bruise on it, you know. And he said that uh, he was spitting up blood, but he was able to sit up. And he told him, he says, agua. And he wanted water. And he told those guys, I was like, he told them, where's the water? And they said in the truck, you know, so he goes in there and he, he tells Federico, he says, get the, get the water, uh, hold the gun and I'll get the water. So he goes to the back of the truck, hands him the gun and Federico kind of stands there, you know, holding the gun on him. And while he, he gets the water, he goes, one of them gets up and starts to run. And he goes, and I don't know at this point, he's like, I hear the, the, the gun going off like boom, boom, you know. Um, and then the other guy just sat there like kind of, and the young guy was sitting there, he was crying and he took the water and he walked back over to Frederico and he told him, did you just shoot that guy? And it was pitch dark. And he goes, I don't know. So the guy may have gotten away, you know? So next thing you know, there's a truck coming down the road and they're like, oh crap, you know, we're in trouble. There's, there's more. So he jumps down in the ditch and he grabs that other young guy and he goes, I don't know how I have the strength to do this. He said, I hadn't eaten in probably two weeks. And so he goes, I pulled this guy down. He goes, all I had was like like a little bit of water, you know, in me. And he goes, and my, he goes at that point, my, my organs were probably stop, starting to fail, you know. And uh, he said that he was sitting in the ditch. And he goes, just as this truck was starting to pull up, he's thinking, this is it. So he gets ready, you know, to, to just start, you know, he asked that guy for the other, another magazine. And the guy with his hands up says, it's right there on my chest. You know, and he grabs it and he says, I'm about to, you know, start shooting these people and it's just a bunch of workers and they're singing. He goes, and they're singing hymns like, you know, Christian songs. So he goes, he starts waving, Hey, Hey, help me, help me. And they're like in shock and they get out and they see the soldier and immediately they go and they grab sticks and just go toward that guy <laughs> and start beating the dude. And then he's like, no, stop, you know, stop, stop, you know? And he could see the, the it was just a young kid. He goes, he's probably like maybe 18, you know, he was crying and they they took him and they, so he he got him and he put him in the back of the truck. They didn't see what happened to the other the older dude or whatever that had ran off. That was his uh, superior. And so he goes. We ended up. Uh, a funny story about that too. They ended up getting back into town. They drove to this little well, which was like a village or whatever, where the the all the people that lived in that village were armed. Like they were like not taking it from these Sandinistas, and they were like, we're not going to be you know, victims. And so the the guy, they called him the Patron, this guy, they called him Juanito Patron, you know, and he said, he told him, he says, dude, we're not victims here. He goes, everybody here works and we have weapons, whatever. And they nursed him back to health. And he said, at one point he witnessed a firefight between the communist guerrillas in this village. 
and they they drove them off. He's like, they weren't taking it, dude. And they had a little makeshift church there and everything. And they, they would go and they would do uh, mass and all that. And so they had uh, this guy to to be their uh, priest or whatever. And he, and he actually, uh, he ended up staying with these people, his friend Frederico, for a while. He stayed there for like a couple months. And he managed to get back into Lyon, um, Pepe did. And then he went back to work, you know, working and whatever in the church and all this stuff. Well, it was a crazy story that was relayed to him, another, like I guess, a paranormal story that was relayed to this guy, and it, and it was about the church that uh, Federico used to work at, and he said that, that this guy came to his church and started telling him that he had witnessed a woman who was demonically possessed that like had actually uh, ended up dying subsequently after being possessed. Um and, and she had gone to that church. And so he said, you know, when Frederico comes back to town, because uh, he's trying to set up a church out there in that village. I can't remember the name of the village or whatever, but um, he said, once he comes back, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll ask him about this story, you know. And he said that it freaked him out and they couldn't do nothing for the woman. That's why he left the church. And so, and it just, I guess, you know, he, it just it had a profound effect on this guy when he was like 17 or whatever. And so... Pepe said, you know, okay, you can join our church, whatever, you know, and the church was growing and, and he knew that at some point, you know, there was going to become an issue there because some of the, the people that were Catholic and not necessarily uh, from the church that his friend was running, but there was another Catholic church not too far away uh, that was closer to, to where they were at. And he said that they were starting to chafe because there were people that were leaving their church and going to his and so he thinks that out of jealousy or whatever, they started kind of slandering them and, and trying to teach their people, hey, that this is bad. If you go to that church, you're going to go to hell type thing, whatever. So when Federico came back, he says, there was a guy that came to me, told him the story about the woman who had been possessed. And Federico says, yeah, I remember this woman. Um, and that she actually used to go to that other Catholic church. Well, that other Catholic church was also very celoso, uh, as they say. The priest was very jealous of him and didn't like that he had a bigger congregation and that he didn't like his relationship and friendship with this other church, the Pentecost or whatever. So they they he got the authorities to kind of harass him, kind of mess with him, you know. And that church uh, had a little more money, I guess, you know, to try to, you know. So then they kind of started bullying him and the other, the guy and the priest, and then they he had the bishop come and, and chastise him for, or wanted the guy to chastise him for helping that other church because it was taking away from their listener. Now, luckily, the bishop was an honest guy and said, look, if any anybody who wants to hear the word of God, they, they should be allowed to, whether they're, you know, Pentecost or they're Presbyterian, Methodist, whatever, Catholic, it doesn't matter. Whether they're Catholic or Protestant, you know, if, if they're seeking out God and they find it in that way, it's okay. But this priest was very uh, aggravated by that. And he said this priest, uh, like he said that when that woman had come to him who was uh, a uh, had a uh, demon on her, he turned her away. And by the time that woman's family had brought her to Frederico, she died literally on the steps of that church. Um, she wouldn't go in the church. And he goes, dude, she was fighting like to not go in the church. And he said, dude— he witnessed her neck like bulge out and then go back to normal size. And then her arms, like she was so strong that she was able to throw like two grown men, you know, into the wall. 
And he said she was clearly possessed, you know, and then she got down on all fours and was crawling like a spider. Um, and then she died right there, like in front of the church and ended up uh, being pronounced dead of heart failure. Like her heart just gave out, I guess, from whatever. Uh, well, shortly after that, he had this dream. This is his friend, friend Frederico. He had a dream and, you know, he had a little house that, that he lived in behind the church and he hears, um, he falls asleep watching TV, but he hears like, like footsteps going up these creaky steps up to his uh, loft. And he's like, he hears it like, and he's like, what is that? And he's like half asleep. And he had had a weird uh, dream, nightmare, whatever, that he had seen this like demonic like entity standing in his living room. And what's even crazier is that when he described it, this is freaky. When he described it to Pepe, Pepe or Jose, whatever, he, he said that it was what he saw when he was 15. And he said, dude, that sounds just like, because I've seen something just like that, that looked like a demonic, you know, like a demon in the river, in the Limpe River when I was a kid, you know? And he's like, really? And he said, well, that that night I heard something coming up the stairs, but then when it got to the door, it stopped. And he goes, and I got up and I threw holy water on the door and I prayed. And he goes, and then the door just opens and there's like this gust of wind, but it felt like whatever it was, was going out the door. And then he said that he fully believed that that was this demon and it kind of lurked around for a while and he had to go and bless the, the all the ground and, you know, and he got an, a couple other priests to come and help him. And he said that, that one of them got scratched really bad on his face when he was asleep, um, you know, and they had slept in the church, you know, and they were from neighboring areas, whatever. And uh, he, he believed that that demon was, it was real, you know, and so... Pepe had this feeling that maybe this is, you know, something that followed him, you know, and he goes, but it couldn't have been the same thing because this woman was possessed years before and he wasn't even in there. He was in El Salvador. And so I told him, I said, though, the, the, the thing that I've told people before that when they talk about Satan, that it's actually a, a race of beings known as the Shaitan. And they have what I believe is like a hive mind. You know, one is many. That's why they say we are legion, you know. And so when we got into this whole conversation about it, I'm getting the chills talking about it right here in the studio. And when he said that he had this this conversation with him about it, he said that this thing, he said, How, what did it look like? He said, well, the one in my dreams had, had like this red glowing eyes. He goes, yeah, I didn't see that at the one in the Limpe River. Um, but he said that the one that he saw in the, the Limpe River, he was very much like animalistic, more like a uh, flesh and blood being. He said, so one night they were sitting around talking, him and a couple of the church leaders from his church and the people from the diocese, and they were all just kind of having a little get together and eating dinner. They became very close, actually, which is odd. You know, it's kind of odd that those two churches competing would be so close. But he said that we became very good friends, you know, after we would have well, we'd, we'd gone through. And he said that they came to the conclusion, like maybe that, you know, when, when these things can take a human form and when they do, you know, that they're not, they don't have all the faculties of their spirit form. Just like if you were out of your body as a spirit, you were, you, you're more aware, you know, because that is our true state, you know, and this is a very interesting conversation I had with him and I was giving him some feedback on it. We were going back and forth and I, I do believe that that's, there was some sort of something going on. Now, let me tell you what ended up happening. The, the, the cemetery where, 
um, he had first encountered this dogman type creature, the 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 priest Federico. He said, "Look, man," he goes, "I would never have become a preacher if it wasn't for that werewolf, you know, the Ambre Lobo." And he said, "You know," he goes, "But uh, it's almost like you know, you, I saw it because of that, you know, like that was the reason for me." to change my life, stop playing around, stop going to bars and getting into fights and blah, 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 blah. You know, I was doing all these bad things. And he said that, that, that one night when they were leaving, right after they'd had this long discussion, he said, it just starts raining out of nowhere. And it was really freaky. And he said that the, the lightning was striking and you could see it in the sky. And just like the, the night that, that, uh, Whenever uh, Jose earlier, I told you when we were talking, he was riding his yeah, moped with his little cat, you yeah. know, um, and, and and so he's like his little cat was like sitting in the back with his little uh, sombrero, <laughs> whatever, and he said that he saw what he thought was something lurking around in the cemetery, but he wasn't real sure what it was, um, and so he said that that they look up and they see by the light of, of the of the flashing of the of the lightning. On top of the church, this demonic entity that they thought would have looked like a gargoyle if they hadn't, if it hadn't moved, and it was squatted down, kind of like a gargoyle. He said, just like you see a gargoyle, right, like a like a statue. And he said that it stood up. He said it had to have been eight feet tall, and it just spread its wings, dude. And he goes, and it just took off into the sky. And he goes, and it was me and like four or five guys from the diocese and then you know three or four of the church leaders from the Pentecost church and we were all standing there and we saw this in full view and he said it's even weirder because it looked like lightning uh struck it but it didn't even damage it it just and then it just shot off real fast like and it, like and it like it turned into like a ball of light flying really fast and uh, that's a crazy story, um, you know, and so he asked me, you know, my thoughts on that. And I'm like, dude, I said, what? I said, give me a description of what it looked like. And he said, I can tell you right now that the description was what I saw when I was 15 years old. And I was like, that is crazy. So, you know, this guy's life kind of came full circle. And then they ended up building the church and, and you know, of course, this is a, an abbreviated version, folks, of what went on. I could you know, literally write three or four chapters of a book about everything he told me. But this is the cliff notes, basically. Um, very interesting guy. Um, I told him he should write a book, you know, about everything that happened to him. Um, and he was like, well, he goes, I'm not really into that. He goes, I'm just, I'm still going around the world, building churches and doing things like that. Um, very quiet, unassuming life. You know, he doesn't try to to prance around telling everybody, look at me, I'm doing good, whatever. Very humble guy, probably one of the most humble people I've ever met, you know, and just a very uh, soft-spoken uh, uh, guy, you know. And so he did uh, come to the United States for a little while and helped uh, build churches here and do – he doesn't really deal with the Pentecost part of it so much anymore. It's just straight non-denominational. Um, he doesn't really have a, a denomination that he follows. Um, he has worked with Baptist churches. He's helped build uh, all kinds of different churches. Very colorful guy. Uh, interesting story, and he does believe that God delivered him that night from from the, those communistas, and I, I do too. I believe that that's probably what happened. And he reaching out through, like I said, a listener. It's, it's a blessing when somebody can actually um, direct them towards, yeah, those. direct them to me, you know, whatever. And when he, when he talked to me, he says, "Well, I was told that you're an expert on these subjects," and I said, "Well, yes, I am actually." 
um, what do you need to know? I know everything from quantum physics to Pythagorean theorem. And he was all like, okay, I just need to tell you a story. I said, okay, I can do that too. Um, but no, I'm joking. I, I didn't act like that at all. And, and he actually got me totally wrong. He said he thought I was a very humble and, and uh, you know, nice young man. And I was like, I'm not young. I am very uh, humble. Uh, even Probably the most humble guy you ever met. Even, even if I just if I do say so myself multiple Nobody's times. Nobody's more humble than me. No, he does humble <laughs> like I do. I'm the most humblest of the, all the humbles. And so, <laughs> so but th- that, that's his story. And I thought it was very interesting. And I thought it needed to be told. And, you know, when you go, you know, into the jungle and get kidnapped by communists and, you know, it's basically divine intervention is all I can think of. That truck broke down. He was getting ready to be killed. And then, oh, and then another sideline I was going to say about the young guy, the soldier that they ended up, he ended up working with him, turning his life over to the Lord, becoming one of the the preachers, and ended up helping him build a church in Guatemala. Hmm. So that guy turned his life around, and for 20 years or however long it's been, he's been, you know, working with him, and he says he goes back to visit him quite a bit. And, um, and so that was, that was, that was crazy, man. He goes, he thought they were going to kill him. He says, and the, the one guy says, we're not like you, you know, he goes and he's and the guy just broke down crying. And, uh, he said that, you know, like when, when they first took him to the church, the first church service he had, he, he just went up to the front to the, to get saved, you know, and he was, he was just crying. He said he laid on the floor and just cried like a baby and was like begging God to forgive him for the things he had done. And he had been doing things like that since he was 15. So, you know, he was going on 19 years old or whatever. So for three and a half, four years, who knows what he was a child soldier, who knows what he was doing and what he did, you know? And like, I mean, but he was like, he said, every time he saw him, he would come up to him and his name was Juan too. And Juan would ask him, he goes, do you really think God's forgiven me? And he said, yeah. He goes, I, I, you're sorry in your heart. You're actually sorry. And, and, and this guy admitted to him, he said, we were heading to, to kill you. You know, he goes, I, I wasn't the executioner. I drove, but, um, the guy that was with him, uh, was an executioner and enjoyed what he did. And, uh, it was like, he kept telling him, I can't wait to kill these two, you know, bad word, you know, people, you know, whatever. And he was like, man, he goes, you, you know, you were going to die. He goes, and, but I saw, you know, like he goes, and, and he goes, the weird thing was, he goes, when I grabbed your gun. He's like, you barely resisted. He goes, I know. It was weird. It was like I wanted it to happen. You know, he goes, something in me just gave up. I didn't want to be evil. I didn't want to kill y'all, you know. And he said, I didn't want it to happen. So, you know, God God works in the way he works, and he does what he does in the way he does it. And we can't, you know, fathom that. We don't know how it all plays out. Like, you know, it's just just one of them things, man. And the, but what's really weird though, but but since he saw that that demon that night on the church, and it flew away from the church, it was like it was leaving. You know what I mean? The grounds. And he said that he he fully believes, and the and the priest did too, that them allowing their love for one another and for for the community and to help people and coming together literally conquered that demon, and it made it flee. And he said that that was its last, you know, like, okay, fine, I'm leaving, but, you know, trying to scare him, you know, whatever. And it worked. It scared him a little bit, but it wasn't like, he goes, we didn't give up, you know, and he goes, and none of us had bad dreams anymore or had any more encounters with this thing. He's like, but the fact that I saw this thing when I was 15 and he said, he he talked to his one brother that was still alive and he told him, he said, dude, 
uh, he goes, I really, his brother asked him, he said, do you believe that that was the same creature? He goes, maybe not the same creature, but a similar one. And he, it was just, it's just really weird. It's also you know? like, based on what you told me, it sounds like a very scary creature. It sounds like an all around hunter because, you know, on the land, it already seemed kind of intimidating and scary. Then you see it just immediately go into the water and it doesn't resurface until it's right in front of you. So it goes from being really far away, holds one breath, goes right about, I think you said eight feet away from their boat or whatever. And it's just right after all of that, you think like, okay, maybe if we can just go fast away enough from it, then we should be able to escape. The next thing you see is that it just goes into the air. Air, yeah. So it's like you can't escape from this thing. And like it seems like no matter what aspect of the environment it's in, it can either adapt or uh, excel in it. So sure. when you were explaining it, the first thing I thought was like, I don't even know how you could get away from this thing. Yeah. Is this just, there is no, you know, and, and when you, when you, and Tony, you know, and Anthony, both of y'all, we've heard stories of these things being in the middle of the road and then flying straight up, you know, um, these, these winged entities, dude, I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm, I, it's scary to be chased around the land by something, but you know, maybe you can get up somewhere high and it won't, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just reaching, but there, there's a chance for a survival Yeah, but there. a winged entity that, that can carry a body that size, that's powerful enough, it, it, you know, it could lift you up. I mean, I had some friends t- tell me a story and I'll get that, I'll get to that and it's another story, but for another time, but this winged thing flew over them and I told them, I said, you're lucky something, it didn't grab you. I mean, it was huge. I mean, know? eagles can pick up deer and drop them. And sure. Like, like they drop them off mountains. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, just seeing that, imagining something of that size, it'd be like, oh, it'd be easy to pick you up. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially, I think creatures like that have stronger legs and talons for that reason. Yeah. And I'll tell that story on the live stream next uh, Friday about what they saw. This was at the Overlook. I'll actually write that down and, and I'll, I'll message him. And talk to him about it and see if uh, he can give me the rest of that story. So, folks, I'll tell that story on the live stream on Friday. Um, this winged creature that, that happened on the, at the Overlook. It's uh, the, the the cliff above the lake, whatever. These things flying, I think, is also reflected in the Bible when, when, it, says, when it calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. Mm-hmm. But like you said, you know, like maybe uh, Satan is more accurately translated as shatan, which refers to a race of beings. So if we take that translation, then maybe it's referring to a race of demonic beings that, and it calls them the princes, prince of the power of the air. And that's why these things fly up. And maybe that's how they're able to just turn into like this ball of light and shoot up in the air. My only issue with calling them a race of beings is that I don't, I feel like, I'm not saying like you can join them, but I just feel like it's more like an ideology where it's like it's it's an idea of just going against God. So then like you get the label of Shatan, which is yeah. Let me add you to that real quick, mm-hmm. and before I forget this, and I'm going to tell you because y'all are throwing out some cr- crazy stuff here. W- w- one of the things is in the Book of Job where it says, "Where hath thou been?" And I believe that the Elohim is like a plurality, and then they talk to the Shatan as a plurality. That's very possible. I'm not saying that's the only explanation, but it's one that's been thrown out there. And w- it says we've been. W- it says walking to and fro upon and within the earth. Now. Think about it. What Tony just said, it is he's right because those though that would that would indicate that they don't fly, that they're walking. Those particular ones were walking to and fro upon within the earth. It doesn't say we were flying around the earth. 
you know, but these particular beings could fly. Now, if you, if you, if you remember when we were interviewing Chris Garitano and he was talking about that, that movie Gargoyles and it's a 1970s flick. If anybody hadn't seen it, you know, check it out. It's pretty crazy. Um, but it, it, it shows there's like, I, if I remember correctly, and I don't, I wish I had Chris here to ask, but I believe in that movie, there's two different kinds of gargoyles. There's the kind that just run around on, on their legs with, uh, on two legs without wings. And then there's some that have wings. If I remember correctly, mm-hmm. there's two different kinds, but, but they look like the same species, but some of them fly, some of them don't. So that, that, that is something to ponder. That is very creepy. Yeah. And like the whole thing with, they're still mm-hmm. called gargoyles. It's just like they have different aspects. And that's why I feel like it would be working with Shatan, whereas it's like, you're not really saying like, oh, this specific thing is a Shatan. It's just saying like, oh, this is what they're about. This is like, when you say that you're understanding everything that goes apart, it's like a label that doesn't really indicate the person themselves, but his ideology. Or like, or their ideology. Yeah. So then you're saying like Shatan would kind of be more, more of an umbrella term that can refer refer to a different, to a multitude of different beings. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. It's like if I said infidel, you would think like, oh, you know, a Muslim terrorist, and it's a, like it's not really a sect or like a, a specific terrorist group I'm speaking about. I'm just really saying like the whole group. Yeah, and I think it's the same for Shaitan. I think that's why, even though you know um, these fallen angels were brought down, I think like that's why they can are labeled with this. It's not like they joined or changed races. It's just like oh, they joined this other group now. And just to clarify, we're not saying that all Muslims are terrorists. No, no, yeah, not that's, that's we're, not obviously. We're not even no, talking no, about no, that. No, I don't want anybody to no, misconstrue no, that. No, no, we're just saying that that in, in the modern day, that is the connotation whenever. Because you know, both sides are calling each other infidel. Now. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like everybody's calling everybody Nazi. Like mm-hmm. the right's calling the left that, the left's calling yeah. right that. Everybody's calling everybody that. And it's yeah, like, it's dude, just a term it's like, which it's just a it term has a label. being thrown around yeah. so ridiculously. Um, but anyway, we're not here to talk about all that. The point is, you get it. So thank you for joining us here at Paranormal Roundtable. Please tune in uh, Wednesday, which will be tomorrow. Um, and we'll have the first, uh, we'll offer up the first episode of what we talked about with Chris Garitano. And remember, it's going to be a three-parter and it's going to come out on Wednesday, tomorrow, or Thursday. It might it might be tomorrow, it might be Thursday, depending on when Anthony can get it edited and get it put out. But uh, it'll be the first of three episodes, and those are just bonuses, man. I mean, yeah, just expect a lot of stuff for this next yeah. few weeks. You're going to be a lot, lot of, content. of content, yeah, because we're going to have Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, and then Friday live stream, and then again live stream on Sunday. And Sunday, Friday, we'll have a guest. He'll be in the studio with us, David Weatherly. It'll be pretty cool. And then after that, we'll have um, a bunch of uh, stuff going on on Sunday that we, we're going to talk about and just kind of. Sundays, I think, are just kind of be a recap of the week, probably. That's what's going to turn out to. Yeah, That's I think, what I think it's probably they'll be gonna, a little bit more loose, and yeah, you just, we're just going to talk about stuff, and it'll just kind of be a recap, I believe. But folks, anyway, Paranormal Roundtable Train, jump on it, get your tickets, and get your tickets to the conference, and come see us. Check out me, and well, I don't, I don't know if you care about these two, but me, check out me. I'll be there. That's the main thing you need to do. Uh, me and Tony uh, are, are probably just going to be stuck at the merchandise table the exactly whole time, exactly where they belong. I'm the <laughs> humble one who. Yeah. Very being the very humble guy that I am, you probably should just come check me out. Yeah, he keeps me away because I'll steal away the attention. So oh, I'll man. be in the closet with, with the merch. Well, just go hang out with those two. Leave me alone. I'm going to be tired. Ignore the gargoyle. I was, I was tired last time. I didn't even join the after party. I was passed out. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 You were just like On social party pooper. Party pooper. 
All right, guys. Well, that's it. What were you going to say? I was going to say I was tired because I worked hard, unlike Tony. Interesting. All right, folks. All right. Well, I'll see you. Goodbye. Bye. Good night.